Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. This podcast is supported by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. We've been using Active Skin Repair for a few months now, and I am seriously impressed. They use a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which is pretty much a superhero in skincare. It mimics your body's own immune response, helping to cleanse, soothe, and reduce inflammation to support the natural healing process. And let me tell you, it works for more than just scraped knees. Whether it's sunburns, rashes, or even more persistent issues like eczema or acne, Active Skin Repair has got you covered. The best part? It's totally safe and non-toxic. That means it's gentle enough for every skin type, from the little ones to grandma and everyone in between, making it the go-to for everyone in the family. I scraped my knuckle the other day while doing laundry, and my first thought was to grab the Active Skin Repair because one, it doesn't sting like other products, and two, I knew it would help me heal faster. So if you're looking for a natural, effective way to handle boo-boos, check out Active Skin Repair. And because you're a listener, you can get 20% off your order. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code CLUTTERFREE. Again, that's ActiveSkinRepair.com and use code CLUTTERFREE to get 20% off your order. You're listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show with Deanna Yates, episode number 100. To celebrate hitting triple digits, I'm answering your biggest questions when it comes to decluttering, organizing, cleaning, and being a minimalist. I'm excited to see what questions you have for me. Oh, and make sure you check out the giveaway I'm hosting this week to celebrate making it to episode 100 and over 500,000 listens on this podcast. Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. My name is Deanna Yates, and I am thrilled you're here as always. If this is your first time here, well, welcome. I hope the information I provide is not only helpful, but inspires you into action. Today is going to be fun. I'm doing a Q&A style where I will be answering your biggest questions. These questions were submitted via email, DMs on Instagram, and through my wannabe minimalist Facebook group. Um, and if you're not following me there or part of the group, then go ahead and check out the links in the show notes and come on over and join us. Both are fun places and I have big plans for these channels in 2020 as I have just hired an assistant to help me in my business. So you can find those links at wannabeclutterfree.com slash 100. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 100. Okay, well, let's get into your questions. So first up, we have a question from Stacy via DM on Instagram and she she says, I am too sentimental to declutter. How do I overcome this? Oh, hi, Stacy. Well, let's start with what I consider the definition of clutter to be, right? Because sometimes people think that they need to have, you know, stark white walls, no art, very sparse furniture, furniture, sorry. And and that is couldn't be further from the truth, right? I mean, what you define to be clutter really is going to be up to you. And so I define it like this. If there is stuff that is holding you back, stuff that makes you feel bad about yourself or that you feel guilty about, um, just things that make you not feel great when you see them, well, then that is clutter. If it's stuff you don't like, that's considered clutter. 
And kind of along the same lines, I want you to remember that we all have different clutter thresholds. So what feels like a cluttered space to me may not feel cluttered to you. And what feels decluttered for me might feel too sparse for you. Clutter and the stuff we choose to surround ourselves with is very personal. So then I want you to look at the reasons behind why you want to declutter. Are you hoping to be able to, you know, move in the future so you don't want to have a bunch of stuff weighing you back or weighing you down and holding you back from making a commitment to, you know, up and leave and move somewhere new? Do you hope to get out of debt? Well, maybe you could sell some of your things and you know, being able to declutter that way could help you just find freedom because you wouldn't be bogged down with all of this debt. There are reasons that, you know, you're looking at stuff and you're thinking that it's clutter. And so that's why you need to look at why you want to declutter. Because again, if the stuff around you is making you happy and it's filling you up and you feel joy and it's beautiful and it inspires you, well, then that's not considered clutter. And you probably wouldn't be looking at why you want to declutter. So our stuff can be very personal. It's going to be holding a lot of um, emotions for you. And just remember that the stuff that's sitting there, it's just stuff, right? So I want to look next at kind of that very sentimental piece because you said you're you're sentimental and it's and it's too hard for you to declutter. So when people are very sentimental, I recommend starting to declutter in an area that holds very little emotion for you. Actually, there's two things I recommend, two different approaches I take. The first is this one where you go with someone that's not very emotional, right? So this could be your bathroom. But if you're a makeup artist or you grew up, uh, you know, having a lot of emotion around wearing makeup and things like that, that could hold emotion for you. So that's not going to be the room to start. You could you know, not be very emotional about your kitchen. That could be a very utilitarian room for you. So if that's the case, then start there. But that could hold a lot of family, uh, you know, memories and things like that too. So again, this is why it's very personal because you have to decide where your emotions um, are held within your stuff and within your house. So pick someplace that's not emotional to and start there. That's one way. The other way you could do it is to start with your list of grievances. So I don't actually see this one, uh, this approach very much when I don't see this approach mentioned very much in the decluttering community, but I think it works really well. Because again, this, you could be having problems and a block on decluttering just because there's so much to do, right? Now, this list of grievances, though, it's a list of things that bother you in your home. So it could be a loose knob on a kitchen cabinet. It could be a squeaky hinge. It could be that your doorbell doesn't ring. It could be that the caulking around your tub might be mildewy and could stand to be replaced. It could be a whole host of ideas. It could be, you know, a mark on your wall that every time you walk by, you go, oh, I really just should like touch that up with paint or I should get a, you know, magic eraser out and get that cleaned, right? It could be anything at all that kind of just irks you in your house. And so one way to do this is you just take a, you know, piece of paper um, or your phone. You can either do it, uh, you know, analog and on pen and paper or digitally on your phone. And you just start walking around your house and you write down all the things that kind of annoy you. And then you look at the list and you pick out something that's pretty easy to do. I would start with the easy things first and then just start fixing them. Start tackling the list that way. And you will be amazed at how it helps lift your energy. And so by lifting your energy and making yourself feel better, you start to look at your stuff in a little bit of a different light and it makes it a little bit easier to declutter the things that had been difficult you difficult for you for a while. 
So again, this list can be big things. It can be small things. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, redecorating your whole bathroom. It doesn't have to be redesigning your whole living room. I mean, of course, the small things could add up to that, but it really is just this list of those things that kind of nag at you when you're sitting in your home because that negative energy weighs on you and it starts to bring you down. Okay, so that's one. That's the second way I would approach decluttering. So one, either start some somewhere that's not emotional or two, start with the list of things that just nag at you. All right. And then I want to make sure that you're not getting worked up about wasting things. I often hear talk, people talk about being sentimental about things, but they're really worried about something being wasteful. Like it's still useful, but it's not something that you use often or you know, they just feel bad about getting rid of it because it meant something to someone else. Now, the point I want to make here is that your stuff doesn't care. It doesn't have feelings. It doesn't have emotions. It is a tool. Your stuff is a tool. And so, you know, if somebody gave you something and you feel bad because, well, maybe they've passed on and they're no longer here, well, they don't care what happens to that item, right? For my listeners, out there who believe in God in an afterlife, I want you to imagine your grandma or think of another deceased family member if you still are lucky enough to have your grandmas. Um, I want you to think of them dancing in heaven, right? Do you think that they have the time, the energy, or desire to care about the earthly possessions that they left behind? Boy, I sure hope they don't because that is not what we have been told the afterlife is has waiting, right? All right. Those memories of that person live in you, not in the item that they left behind. I want you to choose, look at all the things you have from them, and I want you to choose the one, the two, or even the 10 favorite things that you have of theirs. And remember, because decluttering and minimalism is not about having the least number of things. You're welcome to keep 10 things if you love them and they make you happy and they don't make you feel bogged down, right? That's not clutter. And then I want you to take those things and I want you to display them or I want you to use them so that you can feel those happy memories on a regular basis. Because if you're just keeping these items tucked away in a box, well, they're probably making you feel guilty anyway. And we don't want things to have that much power over us. So again, just to recap, I want you to start small, start decluttering somewhere that doesn't have a lot of emotion or make your list of grievances and then start checking off those things that are nagging at you. And then for things that belonged to a family member that may have passed away that you're really sentimental about, I want you to pick the few favorites that really remind you of that person and then honor those things, display them, use them, and then you can feel the memories and the love that you experienced with that person and for that person every time you look at and use those things. All right. Thank you for your question, Stacey. Much love to you as you are on this journey and dealing with these sentimental items. I know it's really tough and you are not alone facing those. All right. Our next question comes from Cheryl and she asked, how do I quickly get rid of the things that I no longer want? I've found myself with piles and boxes of things ready to be donated, but I never get around to dropping them off. (laughs) All right, Cheryl, you have several choices, but I am going to give you tough love and I'm going to give you two two options because you are suffering from analysis paralysis. You have too many choices. So what happens? Well, you freeze and you make no choice at all. 
So what we are going to do is you are going to pick one of the two things that I give you now. The first option is to have a talk with yourself and commit to dropping off the items at the closest donation center to your house. I want you to make time in your calendar and I want you to just do it. If you have a lot of things, I want you to call the donation center and see if you can schedule a pickup. Several places will do this and you just need to call and make the appointment. I don't want you to look for the perfect donation center. I want you to look for the closest donation center so it is less of an excuse to not do it. All right, that's your first option. Your second option is to put the items on the curb in front of your home with a free sign. If you live in a busy part of town with a lot of visibility, the items are going to be gone before you know it. If you live off the beaten path, you can still put the stuff on the curb and then you can post a message on Facebook or on Craigslist or on Nextdoor and you can post a curb alert for people to come pick things up. Now, there is no follow-up or additional work needed on your end. You put it out there and it is done, okay? So those are two options. That's it. I want you to choose one of those and I want you to get the stuff out of your house. You do not run a storage unit business, Cheryl. You live in a house. And so I want you to give yourself that space back in your home by getting rid of these things that you have already said you don't need. You already don't want them. And now they are just taking up space, not only in your garage or in your house, but in your mind and your heart. Okay. For those of you who are listening, who are just starting on your decluttering journey, I want to give you a few other options because maybe you haven't gotten to the point where you are at this analysis paralysis level. And I you know, you might want a couple different options. So you could research your favorite local charity so that you feel a little bit better about donating the items. I know this is a hang up that a lot of people get. They don't want to donate to maybe the Goodwill or the Salvation Army. They want to donate somewhere local where their donations stay within the community. You can definitely do that. And you can separate out your donations and give things to different charities like towels and sheets to the animal shelter, dressy clothes to the program, to programs helping women enter the workforce. There's so many different options out there. It does take time. So if it's too much, it's okay. Don't feel guilty about it. Do the best you can and get, you know, pick the one local charity that means the most to you and give there. Okay. You can also donate items on your local by nothing group. Now, this is a group on Facebook, so you can look to see if there's a local chapter near near you. Um, I have a few in my area, and the one that I'm in particularly is really active. And so it's pretty easy to get rid of items this way, but I want you to be careful because it is so easy to look at the items that are being given away and be like, oh, I could use that. Oh, that sounds really cool. But remember, we're trying to get rid of things. We're not trying to add things back into our space. So I would recommend that you actually unfollow the group so that you don't see what is being um, given away, but that you only go there to actually give your items away. So Cheryl, thank you so much for your question. Best of luck to you. Follow up with me and let me know how it goes. And to the rest of you, I hope you found the other options um, uh, interesting and helpful as well. All right. Do you wish you could find an educational podcast that your kids actually want to listen to and you enjoy too? Well, you're in luck. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math, is a weekly show full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. We listened to a few episodes, and not only did our daughter want to listen to more next time we're in the car, I found myself chuckling too. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. 
You're transported to moments in ancient history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. Plus, they do a great job of teaching math theory without it being boring, complicated, or overly childish. And that can't be easy, but it's not really a surprise considering Mysteries About True Histories is from the creators of the hit podcast Who Smarted, Brain Games on Nat Geo and Disney+, and Brainchild on Netflix. Episodes drop every Thursday, and since they are about 15 minutes, they are the perfect length for kids ages 6 and up. Turn your next car ride, break time, or bedtime into math time with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Our next question comes from Felicia, and she asks, she emailed me and asked, do you have an episode on getting family members on board or how to deal with that issue? My husband isn't on board with a more minimalistic lifestyle, especially sentimental items. Okay, Felicia. Well, I guess this is that episode, so I will be directing you here. My first piece of advice is that you cannot force someone into decluttering. Now, based on the email you sent, it sounded like you were on board with that, but for those who are listening who haven't heard this before, I want to make sure that I put that out there. I want you to think about when someone tried to talk you into or forced you into something that you you know, really weren't on board with. Well, it probably didn't go well, did it? And so that's what we're looking at here. We cannot force anybody onto this lifestyle of minimalism. So my next piece of advice that always goes with this is that we have to lead by example. You have to walk the walk if you want to convince anyone of anything. If you have stuff that you haven't dealt with, you got to make sure that you get your own house in order, so to speak, and it will be easier to convince your husband to join you. All right. And then when you are doing this, I want you, Felicia, I want you to make sure that you talk about all of the benefits that you are feeling from decluttering and living with less stuff. So if you feel happier, I want you to say so. If it's easier to get ready in the morning, say it. You will probably exude more positivity, but it never hurts to voice it as well. I want you to just do it from a place of benefit to you and not nagging to your husband, right? So again, we just are talking about like, oh my gosh, it was so easy to get ready this morning because I didn't have to dig through that, um, you know, all of those, uh, you know, beauty products that I used to have under the sink and they didn't come piling out and I just picked up the three things I needed and look at that, I got five extra minutes to get to work today. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, Not the, oh, look at how, you know, did you look under my side of the sink and look how clean it is and now look at yours. None of that, all right? We're not doing any of that. So, but let's say that you are already doing both of these things, which you might be doing. 
An idea that I have seen work really well is to designate separate spaces for each person. So if you have a study or an office or a basement or a den or a garage, really any space that he can designate as his and keep his belongings in there, well, that will work. This separation can also work in shared spaces like the bedroom or the closet um, because these areas can still have their designated sides. So if your space is neat and tidy and theirs is a mess, I mean, that can sometimes be enough to spur on a change. You got to make sure that you're not cleaning up after them, right? So you need to have a conversation that designates the space. Okay, this is going to be, you know, this is my half of the closet. This is your half of the closet. Um, My side of the bedroom, your side of the bedroom. How about we have this den set up just for you? It can be your man cave and all of your stuff can live in that room. And then, you know, at that point, then you say, and we're all going to be, we're each going to be in charge of our own spaces. So then you don't touch their side and they don't touch your side. And then you got to make sure that if their stuff encroaches onto your space, you say, excuse me, I'm sorry, but this is my space. We agreed that this was my side of the closet. So I'm going to need your things to stay on your side of the closet. And if the stuff you want on your side of the closet is open space, that is fine. That is open space is acceptable as space in your closet. Okay. Just putting that out there for anybody that needed to hear that today. So once you're not no longer cleaning up after each other, um, then the, you know, the differences will start to show up, right? So if you always were there cleaning up after your husband and he didn't really notice he had a clutter problem because of that, you know, this could be the impetus to make that change. Another thing to point out here is that you might have a very low clutter threshold, like your tolerance for clutter might be really low. And so something that works well, if that is the case, is closed storage. So it doesn't matter if the items inside a closet or a chest or a you know cabinet are a total mess or they're perfectly organized. Once the doors are closed, you can't really tell. So I'm sure that many marriages have been saved by something like a cabinet that can close its doors and you can tuck all the stuff behind it. So that might be a good option for you. You know, he can put his stuff, if you have a closed storage cabinet, if he can put all his stuff in there, if he can agree to that, close the doors, sight, you know, out of sight, out of mind, right? And if all of that doesn't work and you want more help, then you're going to need to get to the why of the matter. So as I was talking at the very beginning about why you want to declutter, you have to get to your why. Why do you want a minimalist home? What does it feel like to you when your home is messy? Now, your partner might be willing to pitch in more if they knew it was a big issue for you. And if that was causing you pain or guilt, I don't think any of us wish to deliberately make our partners mad or sad. So once we're aware of the situation, we can actually make the changes to correct our behavior. But I also want you to understand that your partner lives there too. So if the minimalist thing causes them pain or suffering, well, then you got to go back to that idea of separate spaces that are for each of you, right? Like your space can be minimalist and serene and their space gets to be filled with their favorite items. It's a partnership. And I know that's really hard for those of us that where clutter is a big problem. And so that's why we have to have these conversations. We need to be open and honest and try not to have any blame when we sit there and talk to our um, partners about, you know, this makes me feel 
this. I might, maybe I feel guilty because I feel like I'm not keeping a clean house. I know it's a little crazy, crazy and loaded, but it could be true. Or maybe it just, it causes me a lot of worry when I see all of this stuff out in the open. Is it possible for you to put it away and close the door so that I can have a serene and calm home when I get home from my busy day at work? It doesn't matter what it is. It's really personal to whatever whatever is bothering you and however it makes you feel. So you really got to sit for a moment and think about what that means and then have that conversation. But because that was so heavy, let's actually make this a little more fun because I think we can have some fun with this. I want you to try to make all of this, you know, I know we can get so bogged down in it because it gets frustrating and it's annoying and we feel like we've been dealing with it for a long time so we can get really negative, right? But let's make it fun. Let's tie it to a vision of the dream life that you guys want to be living together, right? So make the idea of letting go of the stuff more fun. So have you ever dreamt of winning the lottery? I sure have. Like dreaming like this helps you think of the life that you would want to be living if money was no longer a barrier. It can be helpful to get really specific on what your days would look like. Where would you live? What would your house be like? Drill down on that subject and see if there's some dream that your husband has for how he wants the home to be. And maybe there's a way you can start to implement some of these changes so that, you know, it starts to move in that direction. And once you can start to move in that direction, you can get a little bit more positive about, um, you know, that that change and letting go of things so that he can live this dream life. And that has worked well um, between my husband and I. We do those kind of exercises all the time. On the flip side, another one we've talked about is talking about what we would grab if the house weren't done, right? I mean, we've all talked about that. So, but I want you to take another step. There's another question that you can ask. So don't just ask about what you would save. I want you to ask what valued things would you secretly be relieved were gone if our house burnt down to the ground? Like this one is a total flip of that normal question, right? And it can be a real eye opener. You might find that you mentioned things that you never thought of before. You might have thought like, oh yeah, I had that, you know, we have a couch that's really uncomfortable. I really wouldn't be sad about losing that couch. Okay, well, maybe you should look at investing in a new couch when you have the time and the money and the energy, right? So these are the kinds of things you can put on your to-do list that would actually make a difference in your life. It's kind of like that grievances list, but it's a little bit more specific to like the bigger things in your life. And when I think about the stuff that comes into our home, I'm always remembering this really funny skit from Jerry Seinfeld, and I am going to butcher it. So I promise I will leave a link to the YouTube clip in the show notes. So please be sure to check it out because it's really funny. But in the clip, he talks about how our homes are the transition space for everything before they eventually end up in the landfill. Like when we first bring something home, it gets the place of honor and it's put like in the middle of the table and then it gradually moves to you know, a drawer and then a cabinet and then to the garage and then finally is considered junk and is thrown out. So it's a really good one. Look at that. I think it kind of helps give perspective on stuff and try those games. Try thinking about what is your dream life if you won the lottery and then what would you secretly be happy about if your house burned down? <laughs> like what are the things that you'd be happy to actually have gone and have taken care, that have been taken care of for you without you having to worry about them? All right. Thank you for your question, Felicia. Much love and compassion to you. 
And our final question for today comes from Rachel. She reached out on the Wannabe Minimalist family group on Facebook and asked, how do you find balance between raising kids and minimalizing your home or creating that lifestyle? Well, Rachel, this is a great question. And one thing I like to remember when thinking about my daughter is that yes, of course I love her and I want to give her all the things that her heart desires. But my job as mom is to prepare her for life outside of our home. Eventually, she will leave our family home and create a home for herself, then perhaps with a partner and then maybe even with children of her own. So this perspective helps me when I'm bombarded with all of the advertising messages and the playdates at friends' homes when they have more stuff than we do. So she sees these things and she often wants them too. And then I also remind myself that growing up is in stages. So there's the baby stage where they need love and care way more than they need toys. I mean, we traveled around Europe for six months when our daughter was just a year old, and we did it without all of those things that people say you need, and we did just fine. We had a travel crib, so she had a safe place to sleep, and we carried her in a boba carrier, which is kind of like an ergo carrier, and basically she drank out of glasses made of glass. She was fine. I don't think we even broke a glass, and she was one. So it is possible to do without a lot of the things. And that was one of those, that trip was one of the things that made me want to become a minimalist or live with less because I saw that it was possible. So then there is the toddler stage and the preschool age, and that is when more stuff comes into your home. And now that my daughter is eight, I wish I would have limited that stuff at that age even more than I did because honestly, she doesn't remember most of it. It's really crazy. And then when they get to school age, that's when I find the comparison to others really starts. And I know it's just going to get worse from here on out. So we have established some rules. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. 
I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. One rule is that her toys live in her room. So like I mentioned with the husband situation in the last question from Felicia, we each have our own spaces in our house. So my daughter has her room, my husband has his office, and I have my office. The rest of the house is pretty much shared. And we try to keep it pretty neutral with stuff that we all enjoy instead of, you know, like all her toys, right? So her toys live in her room, her treasures and her crafts and her creations, things that are not meant to be displayed, they live in her room. Um, Another rule we have is that we don't buy her toys outside of gift giving holidays like Christmas and her birthday. And we also use those holidays as a chance to declutter her toys, her clothes, her treasures, anything else we have. So we try to be generous and work that into um, the getting part of the holidays. Another rule that we have is to clean up the things as we get them out on a regular basis. So this is 95% of the time we clean these things up in the evening between dinner and watching a show. But sometimes it's putting things away right away if we can be lucky and have that done. And other times it happens on the weekend. Life is going to life. Nothing is perfect. And so we do the best we can. But 95% of the time, we try to have a 15-minute power pickup before uh, dinner or sorry, after dinner and before we get to do something fun. All right. I want to go back to that gifts again for a minute, though, because one of the things we try to do is we try to focus on the joy of giving more. And so my daughter's pretty intuitive when it comes to gift giving, actually. So I always like to have her work with me and try to think of really good ideas for the people in our lives. Like she's really good at it. And I try to praise her for this and and ask her to help me, right, to come up with one special gift for each person of our family. And like I said, it's one gift. We don't buy a lot of things for other people. And thus, we try to focus on a bigger impact gift, right? So we try to do that for her too. And we try to do things that they would appreciate. Maybe it's something that they want, but they don't want to buy for themselves. Maybe it's an experience. Maybe it's, um, you know, something that we can all do together. But it generally is one thing. And It could be a theme. So like for my daughter, it could be a theme like Legos or this year, I'm sure it's going to be Harry Potter. But my husband and I generally don't actually buy her that many gifts because she gets so many from the family and from Santa at Christmas. And then at her birthday, her party is something that we actually consider part of her gift. So we work all of that in so that we're not overwhelming because she's going to get gifts from her family. Don't worry, you guys. She's still getting lots of gifts. She's got grandmas and grandpas and she's got aunts and uncles and cousins and friends. And so there are plenty of gifts to go around. Um, It's not like she's not getting anything and having one thing to open. So we just try to remember that we try to do a bigger gift for, especially for um, the holidays. And then at her birthday, we also consider her party as part of the gift package. 
And then we also give our daughter an allowance. So if there's something that her friends have that she really wants and we're not anywhere close to a birthday or Christmas, well, then she has the option to save up for it and buy it herself. Now, this way she gets what she really wants. And I feel good about the fact that she is getting a lesson in how money works. Now, she is naturally a saver. So it's actually been fun to watch her save for bigger purchases. And one thing we just did, we went to Universal Studios Hollywood for Mother's Day. So literally this week. And we purchased her a magical wand as an early birthday present. We're having a Harry Potter themed party. And so the wand fit with that. And she purchased a set of stuffed owls. Now, this girl is getting quite the collection of stuffies, but it's her money and she gets final say in how she wants to spend it. So, you know, I'm not a huge fan of having more stuffies come into the house, but why is it my, it's not my place to say it's her money. She gets to decide how she wants to spend it. And so I bite my tongue and I let her buy the stuffies and she loves them. (laughs) All right. And one other thing I want to talk about is to remember the importance of routines. So it can be really hard to start routines at first, but routines and habits always went out and they become second nature after a while. So one of those habits I'm kind of talking about is when we go shopping, we don't buy the gifts, right? If we end up at at Target and we end up randomly down the toy aisle or we go past the, you know, those end caps and we see something that she's like, oh my gosh, I really want that. Well, we'll take a picture of her with it and then she can decide if that's what she wants to spend her money on later. We try not to give in to impulses. And this is a routine for us. This has become second nature. She doesn't beg and have those meltdowns and like cry and act like she really wants something because she knows it's not even an option. Unless she happens to have her money with her, it's not even an option. Another routine we have in our family is that we have a pretty strict bedtime. So this is, I think, a common routine that people can get on board with. And so I'm going to use it as an example. So our bedtime routine starts with my daughter getting ready for bed at 7.15 and then reading from 7.30 to 8 p.m. when it is lights out. Now, this is our school night routine. So this is Sunday through Thursday. And on the weekends, it's an hour later. So Friday night and Saturday night, lights out at 9 p.m. Now, of course, Life gets in the way sometimes. It's not always 100%. So if we have an invitation to be out or we're doing something, you know, or I don't know, there's definitely exceptions. But for the most part, this is it. And 95% of the time, we're home and it's a normal day. And that is when the schedule is followed because it is expected and it is done. And before we're done with the subject, I want to leave you with a few things that I try to remember. So sometimes mindset really can help when we're dealing with other people and our children. And so here are a few things I try to remember. One, they will not remember a lot of the things that they owned. So don't feel bad when you don't buy into the latest fads and trends. Remember how I was talking about the things that, you know, I wouldn't have bought as much stuff when my child was in preschool? She doesn't remember them. So stop worrying so much about it. If it's something that they love, let them keep it. If they don't, pack it up and put it away for a while and see if they even ask about it. And then if they do, you can easily get it back out. And if they don't, well, you can either do a toy rotation and bring it out and see if they really enjoy playing with it. Or if they're under three or four, I would say go ahead and declutter it. Two, my daughter is not a minimalist and that is okay. Minimalism is a choice that I made for myself and it's better if I don't force it on her. She is minimal in some ways, like with her wardrobe, and she's not minimal in other ways, like those stuffed animals that I mentioned above. It is a give and take and that is just life. Three, 
Kids learn by example. So if they see you decluttering and giving to others, then they will see that as normal behavior and they will often follow suit. Just be sure to talk about it. Remember how I was talking about that earlier? You have to demonstrate and celebrate the behavior that you want to teach your children. So you have to say like, oh my gosh, I felt so great when I gave away those shoes to the Ukrainian uh, shoe drive that they were having down the street. That's something happening in my neighborhood this week. So that's why it came to mind. You know, but you have to be able to tell them why you're happy, what you did, what makes you feel good. And then they will understand like, oh, maybe I would feel good, you know, if I gave some Uh, you know, if I gave a pair of my shoes to the shoe drive or, you know, something like that, whatever it is that you feel passionate about, make sure you're sharing those passions and that you're leading by example. And the fourth thing that I will leave you with is to be confident in your choices. So you know what works for you and your family. I want you to make a decision and I want you to stick with it. Like with our bedtime routine example above, if I hemmed and hawed or was wishy-washy in telling my daughter to get ready for bed, well, she would latch on to that and whine and complain. But since she knows that the bedtime routine is expected, well, then there's less complaining. Now, notice I did not say that there's no complaining. She is a kid. So it is best to remember that part of their job is to test the limits and boundaries. But part of my job is to make sure that I set those limits and boundaries and I stick to them. All right. Well, thank you so much for your question, Rachel. I hope you found that helpful. And I want you to remember that you've got this. I believe in you and I am here cheering for you. And I want to thank everyone who has submitted questions. I know I wasn't able to get to all of them this time, so perhaps we'll have to host another Q&A soon. I want you to let me know if this was a format that you enjoyed, and you can do that by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can come over and comment on my Instagram feed, or you can join in the conversation that we're having in my Facebook group. Now, all of the links for these are in the show notes, so head on over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 100 to find them. Now, once again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 100. And that just about wraps it up for today's episode. But before I go, I want to tell you about the uh, giveaway that I'm hosting. So I'm really excited about this. It's my 100th episode. One lucky winner will receive my Home Systems Power Pack, lifetime access to my course, Tidy Home Academy, and a $25 gift card to Starbucks. Head on over to Instagram to check it out. You can find the details on my profile at wannabe clutter free. Good luck, and I am rooting for you to win. And that takes care of our show for this week. As always, feel free to reach out with your questions and comments. I want to be your cheerleader and help you get the life of your dreams. And I, of course, feel like that starts in your home. Next week, I will be chatting with Emma Krebs about how being curious about her life led her to minimalism, starting a podcast, and changed her life. It has been super fun. It's a really fun conversation, and Emma brings a different perspective to the table, so you'll definitely want to check it out. I'm Deanna Yates with The Wannabe Minimalist Show, and I'll see you next week. Cheers. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, 
have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.